Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. I want to draw your attention to a few words that you just sang in that great hymn from Martin Luther. From stanza two, no son of man could conquer death, such ruin sin had wrought us. No innocence was found on earth, and therefore death had brought us into bondage from of old, and ever grew more strong and bold, and held us as its captive. And then we sing Alleluia after that. Like, that doesn't sound like good news. But we're, we're singing Alleluia a lot, because we haven't sung Alleluia for the 40 days of Lent. And now we are singing that again because our Lord has risen from the grave. So once more, Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Get comfortable singing Alleluia because this is the season for that. Through the season of Lent, which we just ended, I preached on the good kings of Judah. I should say good kings of Judah because even the best ones were middling, you could say. There were some high points, but as Luther puts it in this stanza, no son of man could conquer death. Such ruin, sin had wrought us. And these kings I've mentioned in in the sermons on Wednesday nights, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Joash, Uzziah, Josiah, Hezekiah, none of them had what it takes to conquer death. None of them could break the bondage that death had brought us into. The strongest and best of the Davidic kings restored true worship in the temple, then they purged wickedness from the land for a time, but all of them were powerless in the face of death. And so our psalm that we read responsibly, Psalm 146 says this, put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. We could be governed by the most godly and righteous people, and there would still be no salvation found in their governing because all their plans for good die with them. Death snuffs out even the brightest of all hopes. But even after stating this truth, the church sings Alleluia, right? And I said, that's kind of a weird thing to say Alleluia after. Well, here's why. Because the very next verse goes like this. Christ Jesus, God's own son, came down, his people to deliver. Destroying sin, he took the crown from death's pale brow forever. Stripped of power, no more it reigns, an empty form alone remains. Its sting is lost forever. See, King Jesus is not just another good leader in this long line of, okay, leaders sent by God to live among us for a time. This is what the women who were approaching the tomb were thinking as they approached. They weren't going to the tomb because they thought, oh, maybe he's not there. Maybe he's risen from the dead. No, they, that's not a thing that happens. Right? Put, put yourselves in their shoes. They're going to see Jesus' body. They were in this natural cycle of grief that had grown familiar to God's people over the centuries. God would send a leader or a judge or a prophet or a king, and things would be good for a while. The future would look bright, but death would come. And like I said, death snuffs out even the brightest looking future. So when the women arrive and are greeted by an angel... What this angel says turns the whole world upside down. This had never happened before. The angel says to these women, don't be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. 
He was risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. Where his body was lying. In order to truly deliver God's people, King Jesus had to do what no other king sent from God could do. Destroy sin and strip death of its power. That's a much bigger deal than just restoring true worship in the temple or recovering the book of the law or tearing down false idols. Which is why Peter, in his sermon that we heard a little bit of from Acts 10 in our first reading, he says not only that Jesus went around doing good and healing people, which are things that good rulers had always been doing, but that Jesus did something even greater. From Acts 10, verses 42 and 43, he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Now, sins, forgiveness, death, what's, what's the big deal there? Well, sin and death have this relationship. Death exists because of sin. Remember, Adam and Eve were going to live forever in the Garden of Eden, and so were all of their offspring. So were all of us, but... They fell, they disobeyed God, they, they sinned, and therefore what? Death entered creation through sin. Elsewhere in scripture, in Romans, it says, the wages, the paycheck that you get for sin is death. It follows then that to have your sins forgiven means something about death's hold on you. If we earn death by sinning and Christ removes our sin from us, death has no hold on us either. Luther's hymn says, stripped of power, no more it reigns. An empty form alone remains. Its sting is lost forever. We still have to deal with death. All of us will die someday. But because King Jesus lives, death is a defeated enemy. Death is a gateway for Christians. Jesus opened the way for us to go through death to everlasting life. Death is not the end. An empty form remains, but its sting is lost forever. And that's why Paul wrote to the Colossians, as we heard in our epistle reading, you have been raised to new life with Christ. So set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life. Friends, this isn't something you got to work for or like read your Bible a bunch or pray really hard or be a really good Christian for. Jesus did the work. You died already to this life. And now your life is hidden with Christ in God. And someday when Jesus comes back, your life is going to appear as well. Your eternal life. Death is not the end. Christ's resurrection is your resurrection. And we're going to share in the glory of King Jesus. What, what does that mean? Share in the glory. Are we going to just be like bright and glowing? Like, okay, cool, I guess. Well, we have little angel wings, like those, all those paintings from hundreds of years ago. We'll be, you know, fat little chubby babies fl fluttering around forever. That sounds kind of lame if you ask me. 
So let's paint a different picture of sharing in the glory of King Jesus. Psalm 146 gives us a good start here. It talks about the Lord does these things. The Lord does this. The Lord does that. Who is the Lord? Jesus. So King Jesus, his glory and his power and his love look like this. Jesus keeps faith forever. Jesus executes justice for the oppressed. Jesus gives food to the hungry. He sets the prisoners free. He opens the eyes of the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. He loves those whom he makes righteous. Jesus watches over the foreigner and upholds the widow, looks out for the fatherless, and he brings the way of the wicked who would threaten all of that good stuff to utter ruin. The best things could possibly be living under King Jesus with no threat of it ever being spoiled by sin within our hearts or sin coming at us from the outside. Luther's small catechism gives us another way of putting it. And depending on how recently your confirmation was, this might be familiar. Um, or if it was a long time ago, we might be blowing out the cobwebs here. Okay. That's all right. He has redeemed me, a lost and condemned creature, purchased and won me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil. He did this not with gold or silver, but with what? His holy, precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death so that I may be his own, live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence and blessedness, just as he is risen from the dead lives and reigns to all eternity. This is most certainly true. When sin and death are dealt with, this is what is opened up to us. That's why we make such a big deal about having your sins forgiven and Jesus breaking the power of death because everything else good flows from that. Everything that you might imagine that like living the good life, the kingdom of heaven, what does that look like? As good as that might be, that door, that gate is closed to you until your sin is dealt with. Jesus redeemed us. He atoned for our sin, which means that now there is hope for the despairing. There is help for the helpless. There is justice for the oppressed and food for the hungry, freedom for the prisoners, sight for the blind, wholeness for those who are broken. Lightness for those who are weighed down, a father for the fatherless, a protector for the widow, and so much more. King Jesus lives. And sometimes that's hard to see now. In church services all across the world today on Easter, pastors are hollering and yelling and saying, Hallelujah, Christ is risen. And everyone says, he is risen indeed. Hallelujah. But it sometimes might feel like that doesn't change a lot about our lives. Whatever we're dealing with at work or at home, with medical issues, what does the death and resurrection of Jesus mean for those things? It means that there's hope where before there was no hope. It means that your eternal future is secure. 
It means that though one day, as we all will, we will lie in the grave. We're just, our bodies are just going to be sleeping because our souls will be kept alive with the Lord Jesus. And until all of that blessedness and joy dawns upon our faces as the sun rose this morning, Jesus is with us. Remember how much Jesus suffered to save you. Jesus knows what suffering is like. Jesus knows what it's like to feel lonely. Jesus knows what it's like to feel abandoned, to feel anxious, to feel like, I'm not sure that this is the right step. In the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he was arrested, he prayed, God, Father, is there another way we could make this work? Let this cup pass from me, if it's, if it's possible in any way. By his spirit, by his word, Jesus draws near to you and pours out his grace. In the waters of baptism, in his body and blood, in the fellowship of this altar, in the communion of saints. Our Lord lives and he is among us. And every day is one more day closer to seeing him face to face. Because he's not dead. He's alive. Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia.